There are new stories of the Veterans Administration once again cooking the books. Instead of taking care of veterans who need health care, the VA seems to be covering up long wait times and possibly refusing to allow vets to get the care they need in the community. I'm Dwayne Lester, and in this Insight to Action, Darren Selnick and John Burns of Concerned Veterans for America explain what they are seeing, what they are hearing, and what can be done to correct it. Here we go. So Darren, John, I'm looking through the headlines the other day and I see a headline that says critics claim VA cooking the books. And I thought, is this a repeat from 2014? What am I looking at here? Because this is the first time we've had these allegations. So Darren, help me understand now how are the the veteran how is the Veterans Administration allegedly cooking the books? It's actually quite simple. In 2014, the cooking the books were with the wait times and not properly identifying how long having secret wait times. The problem we have now is that we don't know what the wait times are. We do have a lot of indications that they're long. Full disclosure, I was one of the folks that helped write the Mission Act and write the new regulation that put together what made a veteran eligible for community care. So one of the key things that made veterans for community care was access standards. And access standards consisted of not having to drive too far or wait too long. The drive being for primary care, a 30-minute drive from your residence, or a 60-minute drive for specialty care. For wait times, it was a 20-day wait for primary care mental health and a 28-day for specialty care. We've been getting stories and reports all around the country about veterans who have been extremely long wait times. We've been tracking various government reports. Um, and then I recently wrote an op-ed on this. So how the VA actually report wait time does not the way the law and the regulation requires them to report wait times. So I carefully framed it as accurate. You can report wait times, but are they meaningful? And so if they're meaningful, it's from the date of request. It's just common sense, but that's what we wrote in the regulation. Uh, you know, if, for example, uh, you or, or, or John were to call up a, a provider, any provider, VA or anyone else, and they said, hey, it's going to be a month from earliest for you, you'd say, well, I have a wait time of a month. Well, wait times are not calculated that way by the VA. They have a thing called patient-indicated date, which is also the clinically-indicated date. And basically, they decide when you need to be seen, and then if they don't see you within that time, then they start the clock. It's inconsistent. It can vary from every veteran, every doctor. And if for example, John was to call up and say, hey, John, you know, we probably can't see you for at least a couple of weeks. Is that okay with you? And John said, well, okay. Then they would go ahead and start the clock after that two weeks. And so the reason this is so important is because determining eligibility for community care is based on the wait times. And so if the VA can't see you within 20 days, they're supposed to offer you community care. And based on the law, you're supposed to be able to have a, be able to get a good idea, even if you don't need medical care, in terms of what what the wait times are. So the VA has been publishing wait times on their website. They've been publishing big graph of wait times on another website, um, and, and identifying how many days—thirty, sixty, ninety. 
The problem with that is all their wait times are based on preferred date and clinically indicated date, not by the patient request date. So we really don't know how long the wait times are, but they have to have that. And the reason they have to have it is because that's the way to determine eligibility for community care. You can't do it without it. We do have some indicators about how bad the wait times are, even though the VA is not producing any accurate wait times. Um, one indicator is the secretary, the new secretary, indicated uh, in February that there was 19.7 million canceled or delayed appointments from uh, since COVID started last March. That's a lot of appointments. Now, if you have a canceled appointment by the VA or delayed, it doesn't go miraculously go away. It just means you have a really long wait time until they actually see you. Those aren't being calculated. VA's not calculating those wait times with that, as far as we can tell. Then they said there's so many delayed veterans out there with this 19.7 million canceled delayed appointments that we need 14 and a half billion extra dollars to pay for healthcare, another four or five billion for community care, because we expect this huge mass of delayed care has got to get taken, taken care of. So you can't have short wait times and at the same time say I have 19.7 million uh, appointments that have been canceled or delayed and I need 14 and a half billion dollars to take care of it because there's all these veterans seen and yet say at the same time, you can't, you can't do it. At, this, at the same time, we know from a IG report, when they looked at this last uh, August and September, that they had already identified seven over 7 million wait time appointments delayed, and that the VA had not even looked at uh, 32, 33% of them. So about one third of the appointments, VA had actually no idea whatever happened to the veteran. Sounds like Phoenix, again, what happened to the veteran? Are they getting care, are they not getting care? Um, you know, wait times are very serious. If you wait seven, eight, nine months, that could be the difference between stage one cancer and stage four cancer. Um, that could be diabetes. That could be a whole lot of things that veterans are doing. And trust me, I've gotten story after story of wait times and what that delay has been causing. Um, another indicator has been GAO testified at a, at a hearing um, and they did a report and they were saying it was taken just 19 days just for VA just to go through the process of authorizing community care and, and an average of almost 42 days for, for veterans to actually get community care in the, uh, in, in the community um, with that appointment. So that's a long wait. Once again, you have an accident standard of 20 days for a reason, an accident of 28 days for a reason. So it's been a, a lot of problems. Um, you know, I have the regulation here in front of me and I have the actual definition. VA has been so bold to tell a, a reporter that we work with in, in Florida, Walt, that they're the same thing when anyone common sense who can read the two different definitions knows that it's not true. But I would like to read one of the ways to, you know, this is all nice theoretical, but how does it actually impact veterans? What are veterans telling us? And I'm working with two female veterans, one in San Diego, Kansas, that have been really hugely negatively impacted by the absence of community care. Um, I have been told by, by a doctor at the VA directly that uh, the new administration has told them, you are to try to keep veterans at the facility. Don't let them have community care. So let me read a couple. This is a couple of veterans that that posted just a couple days ago on the VA Facebook about their challenges um, with getting care. Um, this veteran by the name of Paul says, I have severe tingling in my right hand. I've been trying to get an appointment at the Salisbury, North Carolina Vet Clinic. And it's more than a month away. I've asked to be seen in the community. None will help me. Um, Tim, 
says, well, I guess all community care is down in, in the patient rooms because they damn sure are not processing referrals. Um, and, and Jonathan, uh, this is really disheartening when you hear about Jonathan. I have absolutely lost my patience in my mind. I'm a paralyzed, disabled veteran with TBI and also suffer from PTSD and chronic pain. So I'm lying here having tried to get the medications I desperately darling need. Can't get them, so I filed a formal complaint with OIG. But in the midterm, I'm beyond miserable, and I don't know if I can make it. This shouldn't be happening. That's why we have community care. That's why we have access standards. No veteran should have to wait more than 20 days or 28 days. They shouldn't have to drive for you in 30 minutes or 60 minutes. If the VA can't take care of them in a timely manner, or if it's in their best medical interest to go outside because the VA can't provide the expertise or other reasons, then the veteran has the absolute right to go in the community to get what they need uh, and pick who that provider can be. So this is some examples. And uh, in terms of, once again, cooking on the books, it all starts with wait times. If you don't, can't get an accurate wait time, um, and they are cooking the books because they won't provide from the date of request. That's the key thing. If you don't provide a wait time based on date of request, you don't know what the real wait times are. Um, then the whole system downstream is, is failing. There's an old saying out there that I, I try to operate by, and that's never attribute malfeasance where incompetence is obviously to blame. But listening to the stories, it's difficult for me to see incompetence because there's a deliberateness about this whole system. What are you are, are you feeling this is a, a deliberate bait and switch kind of a cooking the book situation? Is there any evidence that that they just simply didn't know what they were supposed to be doing and this is an honest mistake? Well, I have almost 10 years of experience working in the VA. Um, I was senior advisor to uh, two secretaries in the last administration and I implemented the Mission Act. And I can tell you I've seen a healthy dose of, dose of both. Um, I usually attribute it to incompetence first because I've seen so much incompetence, which you would hope you wouldn't see in an organization that old and that well-staffed. But we've also seen the malfeasance. Um, during COVID, we actually had whistleblowers uncover documents that they sent to us. Um, where they were specifically saying, hey, we're not going to authorize care in the community because we don't think it's too dangerous. You know, we're going to take away, you know, the access standards. First, they did a 90-day pause, and then they took it back and said they weren't doing it. But then we saw actual other memos from high-ranking um, staff in VHA saying, no, don't don't give them community care. Um, you're going to make the decision. You're not going to actually whether they question or not. So there's there's the, the malfeasance and there's confidence. I helped them with development of the training. Um, but still, you know, veterans experience directly with, with uh, staff, especially community care staff. Um, they've created such a system of, of steps um, and lack of follow-up training, lack of corrective training, that there are, is a lot of incompetence in dropping the ball, not talking to each other, um, not following the procedures. Um, but we know there's malfeasance because there's no way doctors are gonna be telling patients that a new administration has told them not to let them go and community care if they can help them, that's a direct malfeasance. Um, and we've seen too many reports of that malfeasance. I have other reports that I've heard from inside the staff of, of changing the scripts uh, to tell patients that 
that uh, it's too dangerous to go get care in the community, that um, the quality is not good in the community. Um, once again, that's malfeasance. That's, you know, that's, you know, that's not incompetence. There's, there's enough incompetence to go around, but there's also enough malfeasance. The, the question is, you know, getting the documentation to show exactly where that malfeasance is coming from. Help me understand what the idea or what the purpose of that would be. Why, why would they say that it's not safe to go out in the community? Has there been indi any indication that there's, there's a deliberate effort to keep this new opportunity from happening? And if so, why? Good question. I've, I've, I've asked around. I've had to kind of connect the dots here and there. It all has to do with the VA's budget and the ability to hire. And so... Although the community care budget each year is not directly tied to the facility budget, what I've heard from people inside the organization is that the amount of veterans requesting community care is up to four times what their initial projections were going to be. And what they're afraid of, uh, this is what I've, what I've heard, and I've heard staff talk about being on calls where some of the visions and medical center directors have, have bragged about adding all these extra steps and stopping veterans from in the community. What they're afraid about is that if too many veterans go into the community, it will negatively impact their next year's budget and their ability to hire staff. Because look, um, each medical center, each VISN uh, is on a form of capitation, meaning they do a census of how many veterans have used their facility and their specialty. And then that's what their next year's budget's based on. If too many veterans go into the community um, that's not taken out of their budget, but for the next year, they say, well, look, you have a decrease in the number of veterans, therefore, you don't need as much money. Um, you know, you have veterans that are using cardiology, for example, you don't need as much staff. Um, and so they're scared with all these veterans requesting to go out and going into the community, negatively impact their, their staff and their budget. And so that's why they're trying to stop veterans from going into the community. Um, in terms of why the new political appointees would do that and, and, and tell them to do it, that's an ideology. They, they just simply believe in socialized medicine. Um, they don't believe in choice, despite what the secretary talking about access. And they want the government to have all the control. They don't want the veterans to take control over their own health care. They want to be able to be the final say-so. Um, and that's, that's a perverse um, way of doing the benefit. It's not like that for any other federal health care benefit. It's not that way for any any other benefit that the veteran uses. Can you imagine if the government were to tell you, oh, you want a home loan? You have to use the VA home loan <laughs> office and the government's going to give you your loan. And if you don't do that, you can't get a home loan. Uh, can you imagine if the government told you which college to go to? You can only go to this college. Uh, and the VA is going to set up its own college and you have to go to the VA college. I mean, people would be incensed. Can you imagine going to all the, the non-veterans who are on Medicare and saying, oh, we've decided which hospital Medicare provide, Medicare patient that you have to go to. If you don't go to that hospital that we decide, then you're not going to get healthy. That's the difference with, with the VA and veterans. Um, does VA have good hospitals? Yeah. Does VA have bad hospitals? Yeah. Does the private sector have good and bad hospitals? Yeah. The difference is in the private sector, if you don't like your doctor or hospital, you can go ahead and say, you know what? I'm going to pick a different one. In the VA, you get assigned the doctor, you get assigned the hospital. And if you don't like it, you don't get the benefit, which for the veterans who don't have other health insurance, it means they have to choose either the government, what the government tells them to do or not getting any health care at all. It's not right. It's just not right.
I'm trying to wrap my head around the idea of of veterans going to the community care somehow resulting in a decrease in funding because it would seem to me if I'm if I'm in the VA and I'm saying look we've had to send all these all these patients to the community because we haven't had the resources that's a good indicator that we need more resources that that seems to me that would be an argument for an increase in the budget to be able to say we'd like to serve all these people but we've been un- unable to has that ever come up yeah, so the, the two budgets are separate, okay? And it's an internal mechanism that they, that they use. And the VA has been gotten 8 10% increases a year on its facility. The, the, the problem with the VA is, is not that it doesn't have the staff to do it or can't do it. It's more that the VA won't do it. <laughs> and so what I mean by that is that, you know, compared to the private sector, they see literally half as many patients. Um, they've been adding staff three times the rate of the growth in veterans. And during COVID, they just said, hey, we're not going to see veterans. You know, you can do a telehealth, or we're just not going not to see you. Um, that's part of the reason why they have the, you know, 19.7 million later canceled appointments. So it's, it's an internal capitation. It's, it's not based on, on whether they actually have, can see the veterans or not. It's based on, they just do a formula based on how many veterans you have, and then they decide that's the money you're going to get. Once again, the, the community care budget and the VA healthcare facility budget, two fully separate budgets. If you send someone to community care, it doesn't come out of your budget. It comes out of the wholly separate budget. But you have to justify that you actually have patients for your budget. This is something like taking a service completely out of the market and watching it be centrally planned, and there's no repercussions for failures right you just start adjusting things and it doesn't matter who it hurts as long as the system is preserved yeah Dwayne Dwayne if I might go ahead John this is um, very similar to public education uh, you know K through 12 education right I mean there's really no legitimate reason for public school unions to, to fear the competition of folks getting scholarship opportunity scholarships and vouchers to go to private schools, charter schools, parochial schools, and yet they fight every year because there's this institutional fear that that's going to cost them. It's almost exactly the same kind of mental model that's operating at the Department of Veterans Affairs right now. Well, tell me, tell me a little bit about the Mission Act and what it was supposed to correct and what you know how how it relates to what we're dealing with now yeah so the mission act was created to correct a, a number of problems community care being one of them and how the problems that veterans were experiencing with community care so um before we did the mission act veterans were getting bills they shouldn't be getting for community care uh the va had gamed the temporary choice act um, the Choice Act, which did a 30-day and a 40-mile type of access standard, was expiring. Um, and so the Veterans Choice was going to go away, so we need to be replaced and at the same time replace it with a much improved. One of the improvements was the concept of adding urgent care in the community um, where you did not need a referral or an access standard. Um, and so for a veteran, if you need to be seen quickly because, you know, you broke your arm or you had the flu or or something and you needed to be seen urgently, you could now go to one of the urgent care centers in that the VA had in its network, um, run by its third-party administrators, Optum and, and TriWest, 
and you can just go straight to urgent care. You didn't need to call the VA. You didn't need to get an authorization. Um, urgent care would check and confirm with VA that you are indeed a patient, and then you would be seen. They could do a prescription, um, anything that they needed to do at the urgent care, um, and then those medical records would be shipped back to the VA so they would have a copy of them. That's an example of, of full choice that was added, um, and that's worked out great. I mean, we never hear of any problems with veterans being able to get in their urgent care. John, have you heard of any problems with urgent care in the VA? I have not. Um, we're still, as you know, calling my VA stories, but urgent care is, uh, you know, the opportunity to, to use urgent care through the VA has been very popular. I think the, the only negative downside to it was, was during the choice era when they were closing some of the emergency rooms and turning them into urgent care so they weren't open at night. But, but since the Mission Act has passed, I think it's been one of the most popular, you know, along with, along with the, 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 the hope that you get those community care appointments through the access standards um, that, that, you know, Urgent care has been very, very, very popular and very successful. Again, I have not heard a single negative story, but but you know we're yeah. waiting for we're waiting for our network to to get back to us on some of these. So, yeah. So as as you know, Luce Cardona and I we talk with lots of staff, and, and and when I go on the VA website and I read you some of those stories, I have never seen anybody complaining about the new urgent care benefit that it doesn't work, that they can't get it. That's because it's full choice. You have a problem, you go, you confirm, you're taken care of, done. Um, you know, that's why we're supporting legislation like uh, Representative Biggs, who just put out some legislation on, on some full choice uh, based on the Commission on Care. Um, so the what we put together uh, as, a, as a fix for the old Choice Act, which is temporary in the old community care, was actually modeled on the Department of Defense TRICARE Primes as a retired Air Force veteran, I'm on. And that's where we got the access standards from. And that works when done properly. Once again, you don't have all these horror stories about retired veterans like myself or active duty not getting their care on time. Because once again, DOD doesn't care really if you use their facility or use the community. They just have an access standard. And if they can't see you, but their access standard is primary care is only seven days versus 20 days. If they can't see you in seven days or they, they can't, don't have a dermatologist, whatever. Um, within a day or two, online, I have my authorization. That's what we were modeling. Uh, the VA's culture is different. They they want to keep you in, so they put all these the steps. But we were fixing, and we had a lot of fixes in the Mission Act on putting the access standards in there, so veterans would always have a backstop of no longer than a no of a wait, and no farther than a drive. Um, making sure that there were these big networks, making sure we had urgent care, making sure veterans wouldn't get pills, making sure um, providers were getting paid timely, uh, 30 days with electronic claim, 45 days. So we did fix after fix for all the complaints um, that veterans were having with the old system. Um, you know, one complaint, for example, is the way that VA gamed it in the old system was they would, they would say, hey, from your point of house to a PO box for the VA. <laughs> so we fixed that. We said, no, it's, it's you know, distances from your house to where does VA actually provide the service, <laughs> you know, the point of service. And if VA couldn't provide that closer than the 30 minutes, then that's where you candidate from, not not because, not the closest clinic or a PO box or, or any other place. So this, those were the types of things. But then being forward thinking, there was other things in the Mission Act that we fixed as well. 
caregivers program. Caregivers was only post 9-11. Um, we expanded the caregivers program in a, in a systematic way to all eras so that if it made sense for the veteran, um, they could go ahead and get a caregiver and stay at home rather than going to the institution. Um, theoretically, that's better for the veteran. It's also better for the taxpayer if done right because a caregiver at home is going to be less cost to the taxpayer than a very expensive institution, um, which breaks the banks. So th that was very popular. We created a center for innovation so that we wouldn't have to recreate a mission act every 10 years. The idea is that VA could test out state-of-the-art healthcare, um, payment structures, uh, provider structures, quality, coordination, all that kind of stuff like that. So it would be state-of-the-art and, and could try it all anew. Healthcare is always changing. Let's have a mechanism like they do in HHS, uh, Center for Innovation, to go ahead and try out all these new types of things and then expand it you just can't try out on the whole whole system. So that was important. Um, we have an air commission, which is uh, the Biden administration is supposed to send nominations this month to, um, which is to fix the outdated facilities, which are on average 50, 60, 70 years old. Some going back all the way to World War I uh, era hospitals. Um, and so it's hard to do modern medicine in an 80 year old hospital. No one else does. Um, but where should the hospitals be? You know, how much should community care be? So how do we fix, modernize, um, and renovate the centers? And what kind of medical centers do we need in a 2021 world? We don't need a 1940s hospital with, you know, uh, half the beds empty because that's not the way you do healthcare. So that is an important fix um, and to redirect the money to where it needs to be and where the veterans are. And that's why we're doing market assessments. Um, and then various incentives for VA to be able to recruit quality doctors um, and also provide um, the uh, providers in the network with military sensitivity training, veteran training, so they better understand their patient and their, and their customer. So just a whole lot of fixes uh, across the board, uh, if properly implemented, would make the VA uh, a much, much better system. And which when in first was implemented in June of 2019, the veterans' satisfaction with care and, and the changes were very high. That has been, being reported to us, has been backsliding. Ever since the COVID, uh, and they started using the COVID as a reason to slide back in their ways, our reports have been, you know, both ours and with legislators have been, um, veterans have been more and more unhappy with the VA because they noticed a big change and the inability to suddenly get the community care or to get care. Um, I mean, literally VA closed down clinics, period. Shut down clinic after clinic during during COVID. Um, and if you couldn't get it at the VA and they wouldn't let you get in the community and you didn't have any health insurance, you couldn't even get your care. Um, but to the point of, of um, you shouldn't, if you've earned the benefit, you shouldn't have to use your other health insurance. And yet we know most veterans already talk with their feet because a VA knows that 80% of veterans have other health insurance. And for the veterans who use the healthcare system, they only use for their healthcare. You look at a veteran and you say, what's 100% of my healthcare? They only get 35% of their healthcare at the VA on average, and they get 65% with their other health insurance, even though that's costing them more money. So VA doesn't have a good reputation to get all your healthcare there in the first place. Veterans kind of shop around and what what's, they can stand. And that's the stuff we're trying to fix. 
if somebody's got a story out there, what should they do with it? If they've if they've got an example of the backsliding that you're talking about of excessive wait times of what is obvious malfeasance and not incompetence, what what do you suggest they do with that story? I want to turn it over to John to 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 get a little more specifics on it. But but basically, we want to hear your story. Um, we don't want to just hear the bad stories though. We want to hear the good stories. We want to hear the stories. Look, if community care worked for you, we want to we want to know about that too. You know, if if you were had a you know hundred mile drive and and you got community care and now you're ten mile drive and it worked for you, we we want to know what works because it's, it's, if you're to learn the best practices, you not know what's not going wrong, but you got to also know what works for the veteran as well. Um, and and we have a, a specific site for that. John, why don't you go into the specifics of it? So our, our, our base website is www.cv4a.org, uh, www.cv4a, letters C, letter V, number four, letter A.org. O- on there, we have a take action button, and under that, there's a My VA story. Um, folks could also find that if they just Google My VA story, uh, but either way, uh, that, that's kind of where we're collecting it. We're asking folks to go in there and just... just you know, go ahead and give us your story. If you just follow follow through the tabs there, um, you'll be able to share your story. But uh, but we're also on Facebook as uh, at Concerned Vets. We're on Twitter at Concerned Veterans. Uh, so folks who want to find us can, can just look for us on those platforms. And, you know, if, they, if they're having a hard time getting through to the Share My VA Story website, finding us on, on you know, cv4a.org, they can just find us on Twitter or Facebook uh, and, and, and message us. And we'll get back to you and we'll, we'll walk you through the steps to get to that to, to get to that input sites, because we do want folks VA stories. If you're having delays in getting care, if you're having delays, especially if you're getting a hard time getting community care, if you have problems with urgent care, any of those stories, and we want good stories too. If you have a great VA doctor or you have a, a great experience at the VA, we want to tell a balanced story here because because for some people, VA care is really good, uh, but we want to make it work for every veteran, including those who are, who are far away from hospitals and, and, and clinics, including those who, who you know, have special needs and just getting, you know, getting the care at their VA medical facility is not the best solution for them. Anything to close us out, gentlemen? Well, once again, thanks, thanks for having us on today. Uh, I'd just like to close it out by saying, ultimately, the veteran should be able to control his or her health. It's my benefit, my choice. And they should have the same choice to use that benefit of every other benefit they have and every other American has with their health care, federal health care benefits. They shouldn't have less. They deserve, they deserve more. And they should be able to pick the health care and the provider and have the choice of that. That works best for them and their health care. And so we don't have these, these horror stories in the future. We know it can work. We don't have these horror stories in DOD. We don't have the horror stories with the urgent care, which is full choice. And we know that ultimately for cho- full choice is the answer. We are supporting several bills that will help us get to full choice in terms of picking the, the federal program that works best for you or the provider of the network that's best for you. So uh, we appreciate, we wanna hear those stories, we wanna hear from people and appreciate everyone's support in helping veterans get the healthcare that they earned and they deserve. Additionally, as you know, as we roll into the middle of May here, uh, 2021, uh, Concerned Veterans for America is is standing up a project, a campaign called "Complete the Mission," because we wanna we wanna make sure that that Congress is attentive. We wanna hold the bureaucrats at the Department of Veterans Affairs feet over the fire so that they do the right thing. Uh, and this involves both 
both you know holding them accountable for the bill that's passed, complete the mission, completely implement the Mission Act, but also to follow through that on that intent of the Commission on Care, to follow through on that intent that was in the Mission Act to get to give veterans choice to put them in the driver's seat. So, Darren mentioned that there's a couple of bills that are being being you know considered in Congress. It's probably not the the, the most friendly environment for those bills this year. Um, but nevertheless, we're going to work with our allies, uh, you know, our policy champions in Congress. And as part of the Complete the Mission Act, we're going to be highlighting those bills that would, would further ensure that veterans have full choice. So again, follow us on, on, on Twitter, like us on Facebook, go to www.cv4a.org and click on the Take Action button and you can get involved. Sign up with us and help us, you know, provide the best health care outcomes for America's veterans because this is care that they've earned. They deserve it. Once again, thanks to Darren and John for taking the time to join me and talk about this issue today. And if you have any questions about it or any of the other episodes that we've done, please send me an email at I, the number two, A, at AFPHQ.org. I'm Dwayne Lester, and this has been Insight to Action.